Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. My guest today is David Bedford, who is a Beatles expert, and he has written several books on the subject, such as Liverpool, The Fab 104, The Evolution of the Beatles, and more. And how did you get into the Beatles in the first place? Um, Well, it it also started um, as a child. Uh, The area I grew up in is the Dingle area of Liverpool where Ringo Starr is from. So when I would walk out of my it comes out at the very bottom of Madryn Street is where Ringo was born. And the school that he went to in Silas is the school that I went to many years later. I started there in 1969 at St. Silas. But I was aware of that, but it was sort of it's common knowledge from the Dingle where Ringo was from. Um got married in 87, my wife and I first lived in the Dingle. Then we moved out to by Penny Lane, what everybody knows of. And we've got three daughters. We're all born in the same hospital as John Lennon. And they all attended their primary school. Is the primary school that John Lennon and George Harrison attended. And um, so I've sort of had this around me all my life. And um, it's probably it was the music got into first. I started learning guitar. I was about 12 or 13. First music I got with the Beatles complete. All their songs, all the chords. I mean, lots of the words were wrong. Lots of the chords were wrong. It was somewhere to start. Um, I, I've still got... Well, I think it's the music that got me into it. From school, I, I left school and joined an insurance company. Um, the very good job. Everything go well. So the, so the Beatles listen to the music but more than that and in summer of 2000 I was signed off work uh, I, I was quite ill I was eventually diagnosed with a condition called fibromyalgia a chronic pain condition my doctor signed me off for a month three months six months and then said you're not going to be able to go back to work at the age of 35 I've got a wife and three young children mortgage sort of shattering news Physically, couldn't do what I used to do. Uh, you know, took playing sport, football, cricket, um, golf, everything. All that was gone. I couldn't walk 50 yards without in pain. And the doctor said to me, you've got to find something to do with your mind. You've got to keep your brain active. Or you're just going to sit in the corner and feel sorry for yourself. So it coincided with a time when I was helping the school, we were trying to raise money for the playground. And we did an international appeal and raised the money. The person who responded to the appeal, Yoko Ono, and this surprises a lot of people. And she got in touch and said, I loved his time at Dale. 
how much money do you need? And we said about £27,000. She said, well, I'll give you £30,000, which gives you all the money that you need with a little bit extra. She's been over to the school a number of times. And um, met her. I'm, I'm the chair of governors at the school, and I have for about 15 years. Um, I took a, the children up to one's childhood home, meet Yoko, uh, um, about 10 years ago. She was wonderful with the children. What was, what was she... What was your impression of her? What, what, what was it like meeting her? Well, I was just amazed. We were inside uh, this house. Uh, I was stood there and we had um, head teachers with me and we had about a dozen children. She came into the room and she, you know, she's only little and she's got cameras following her and again stuff. She was lovely. She came straight over to the children started talking to them and um, then I gave her a photograph gone when he was at Dell. She'd never seen it before. I was able to give that to her. And I think it was her PA was saying, we're going to have to go a bit We're behind schedule. And she told the PA, said, I'm going to spend some time with the children. You can wait. And she was brilliant with them. She really was. Um, one of the lovely things that she said was, John, just like you, but he was at Dale School. He went on to become international star who so much for peace, so much for music. You can do that if you try. I thought, that's a wonderful inspirational message to give to the school children. I thought, this is not the Yoko I've read about, um, who, who's the terror who won apart the Beatles, etc. Yeah. Um, and so I was talking to a guy who dealt with John and George. He was writing for a Beatles fanzine. I got introduced to the editor, the London Beatles fan club magazine. I said, would you be interested in a story about Yoko donating all this money to the school? He said, yeah, definitely. I wrote the story. I enjoyed writing that. And coincided this, this time, off work, I've got all the spare time. What would with myself? And I said, would you like me to write some more? So I became a regular contributor. Mm. That and just thought, I know, I'm in Liverpool. There's people connected to the Beatles here. I could go and interview them. That's what I started doing. And it was just, it was something for me to do because I had to give up work. We started. Yeah, twenty-one years ago. And um, okay, let's so let's get into the Beatles' history, which we which we are going to talk about today. Um, how did this How did this guy meet? Did they grow up together? Did they just meet through art, through newspaper, or how that you would, or how how did they meet? Um, it's an interesting story. Somebody asked me that, and that ended up in second book that I wrote, The Fab 104 Evolution of the Beatles. The 104 people were involved in the musical evolution of the Beatles from the very beginning, the end of 1962. Amongst these people are there's the parents, the friends, uh, different mates, everybody involved somehow, people who taught them to play. So we think of the Beatles as the Fab Four, four people. There are so many different people along the way contributed a little bit. How the 
Main four came together. The most important one with John meeting Paul. That was on the 6th of July, 1957. This was a strange coincidence. John had started Body Men, his, his group, in 1956. We were playing at a local church fair. It was a summer fair, lovely summer's day. This is the strangest coincidence. Uh, John's good friend, neighbour with Ivan Vaughan, he had gone to Dovedale with John. John was always such a pain in the side. A distraction. The parents of the lads didn't like him. Used to refer to him as Lennon. Don't really want you playing with that Lennon. So when choosing a school for Ivan to go to, he said, there's no way Ivan is going to Free Bank John Lennon is. Instead, they sent him to a school in central Liverpool, over five miles away, the Liverpool Institute. He ends up in a class, lad on the same birthday as him, exactly the same day, 18th of June, 1942. That was Paul McCartney. Mm. So Ivan, friends with Paul and with John, Ivan brings Paul to this summer fair, introduces him to John. It's the only reason John and Paul met. Hadn't been for Ivan, wouldn't have got together. Were they working class people before they got together with Beatles? To in the Beatles, or were they just were they like upper middle class? Or I'm curious about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that, that's an interesting one because John wrote "Working Class Hero." He was least working class out of all of them. Ringo and George, um, pretty much working class. Paul, most of his childhood working class till last house move they made to uh, 24th in road which was the house that he lived in then from the age of 13 which was into a lower middle class area on from uh, when he was born in um lower middle class area in the age of five he went to live at mimi a very middle class area he did not have working class upbringing at all so that's one of the genius things that brian epstein so that when he's promoting them, these four lads on this tough, war-torn, dirty, grimy port city, uh, drag them out of the slums and their working class, hard work and labour and stuff. It wasn't like that. You now, Walton, where John was from, a lovely, leafy suburb which could be anywhere in the English countryside. So uh, John was definitely not working class. And how did they find out that all of them play? And hey, well, let's form a band. Well, again, so you've got um, Ivan brings Paul to meet John. Oh, John invites Paul to join the Quarrymen. John wants to do rock and roll. They haven't got a lead guitarist, and Paul's not good enough to do that. Mm. Oh, Paul's family and George's family lived on the same housing estate. On the same bus, went to the same school, Liverpool Institute. They became become friends already, and were learning guitar together. But when John and Paul decided they need a lead guitarist, Paul says, "Got this mate to school, George Harrison. It's really good." At that time, this is the end of '57. George was only 14. John was 17. But that, that's a big age gap uh, yeah. for teenage lads. John wasn't keen on George around because he was a kid and he looked like a kid. 
after one of the Quarrymen's gigs, George uh, put his guitar onto the bus afterwards. He played a well-known instrumental song here called Raunchy, which was a really good instrumental to play. And John thought, okay, but he's a really good guitarist. I'll, uh, he can join the group. So at the end of 1957, John, Paul and George are together. It didn't just go straight forward from there. It had all these other mates who were in the Quarrymen, sort of fall away. By the time you get to sort of spring of 1959, the other musician had gone. Only John, Paul and George. Nobody wanted to hire the three guitars. George then went and joined another band. And Paul would get together and do a bit of songwriting. George is in this other group, Bless You, a quartet. They're invited to open a new rock and roll club, the Casbah. His band should have opened it. There was an argument in the band. George had to make Ken Brown quit. Went to see one of the best who was opening the club. He said, well, the two lads don't want to play, but two of us will. He said, no, I need a group. You can find some more musicians and you can open the group. George goes and gets John and Paul, reforms the Quarrymen to open the Casbah Club at the end of August 1959. And that's one of those places you come to Liverpool, you can visit. Not only did they play there, they helped to decorate it. So in there, you've got this huge ceiling, unpainted John, he's still there. A ceiling to by Paul. Paul's George out with Stuart Sutcliffe, John Trent for Mark, some painting in there. He best did some painting, Cynthia, John's girlfriend, decorated this club inside. Original decoration is still there. Literally, you can put your hand up and touch the ceilings they painted. So, Quarrymen are off and running again. By the time you're getting to 59 to 1960, every other little group has become a rock and roll group. They hadn't. So, they had to do something about it. So, recruit one's mate, Stuart, who goes and buys a bass guitar. Still don't have a drummer. But he meets Alan Williams, who's, uh, who became their first manager in May 1960. He gets them a drummer, Tommy Moore. And for the first time, the 10th of May 1960, it's the first time they actually play as a rock and roll band. Now, there is, it's no secret that, that the Beatles is heavily influenced by the Beach Boys, who already was an established, well known band in. America, but very huge in UK as well in this time, during this time, or was it just kind of a coincidence that they found the Beach Boys and that they really were inspired by them? I think that that was a, was a lot later. Um, that point, uh, inspiration to a straightforward, it was rock and roll. Um, the influences, uh, Little Richard, Elvis, of course, three. Carl Perkins, and one of the things, and this is the greatest book I've done, The Country of Liverpool, is shown that roots, what the music Beatles were listening to, was country music. Country music was really popular in Liverpool. We had the nickname of the Nashville of the North, this country and western scene, the whole of, probably in the whole of Europe. But it was a huge, huge thing. The music Quarrymen had started playing. Skiffle music has its roots in country. 
big country and western songs. John Lennon was a huge Hank Williams fan. Played a lot of Carl Perkins, who his rockabilly was it's it's rocking country music. Artists who inspired them like Big Holly, Beverly Brothers, um say and Carl Perkins, they've all got their roots country. Elvis Presley started out in country, Roy Orbison country. So the country music was a thing. The pure rock and roll was a big thing for them. So the to discover more American music once you get into the 60s. Each boys then crop up. That's where it really comes more thing with once the Beach Boys release Pet Sounds. So you were getting the Beatles were already established and a, and a few albums in that time. Um, so the main inspiration really were American artists mm. and a variety of country, rockabilly, rock and roll. And of course, discover um, R&B. Um, and so all this is sort of coming together time yeah taking those influences and putting their own economic their own spin and what made we're going to Hamburg so when they went to Hamburg in August 1960 suddenly playing for hours and hours every night like six nights a week be there from a really good band you give up that's when they became an absolutely brilliant rock and roll band how were they live the first time they went started playing live? What were what, what was the live experience like for the first few times they started playing? So that you broke up slightly. What was the live experience like when in the early days of the Beatles? So when they, when they first started out um, as a rock and roll group in 1960, they were, were quite average. Now, even when they went to Hamburg, didn't have a particularly great reputation. Um, the first group that went out there, Derry and the Seniors, their saxophone um, player, Roy Casey, when, when he was told that Williams was going to send the Beatles out, he said, don't send them. Rubbish, they're going to ruin it for everybody. Because he wanted the top groups were Derry and the Seniors, and the Casanovas, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, were the top groups. Beatles were nowhere. They were just learning their craft. So didn't have much of a reputation. That means settled on their name. But in those early months, 1960. I, I want to ask you about that before you move on. How did they settle on the name the Beatles? Yeah, so that, that was an interesting one. So into the of 1960, decided to scrap using the name Quarrymen. That, I'm glad that didn't, that didn't stick. <laughs> I've had enough of that. Stuff, right? Forget that. <laughs> um, so then you think, oh, what else can we be? But of course, their hero, Buddy Holly, and it was Stuart Sutcliffe who actually said, oh, they're the crickets. We can be Beatles. Sex. And John started playing with, with the lessons and thinking, well, the first, the first way Beatles was ever written it says B-A-E-A-L-S, like towns. It's like we, we were, it's all opposition. It's all. And we're the Silver Beatles. Um, and Beatles spelled with a double A. Silver Beatles with E-A. Uh, silver Beats on occasion. And 
Beatles AA, then Beatles EA in sometime in June 1960. That's when they settled on they were going to be the Beatles. Let's just be happy they're stuck with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because when, uh, when promoters would say, What's your name? They say, Beatles. I think, What kind of a stupid name is that? Mm-hmm. Most of the groups. Never done a cash shot. Oh, exactly. You'll <laughs> ever pay attention to them. And they were always, you know, like Bruce Storm and the Hurricanes, is always somebody and the somethings. John. You know, he, he was a huge personality, but didn't have the massive ego. He didn't want to be John and the... He was the leader of the band. He never wants to be John and the somethings. Um, he wants to be, to be the group name. Yeah. People could not understand a long time why Beatles, it was, it was a stupid name. People, all, all they would think of insect. It doesn't make sense. Um so when they came back from Hamburg first time in the 1960s... Yeah, and by the way, how, how did they Hamburg... When they, you mentioned that they didn't have great reputation when Hamburg, in Hamburg, but how did, did it change when they came there, or did it remain kind of the same? That Hamburg is what made them. Um, when out there, and of course, it only um, acquired the latest drummer just three or four days before they headed out to Hamburg. But they'd had one rehearsal session with him before they set out there. But get out to Hamburg and realised their their living quarters are behind um, a cinema screen, dingy little rooms. Playing on this little stage at the Indra Club. This is where they learned one of the hardest things for them was the promoter, the cosh meter was saying to them, you've got to pay six or seven hours now in those days most um, records were between two and three minutes long most try and work out in six hours yeah. how many three minute songs you need <laughs> to help a lot so one of the things learned particularly from another musician Tony Sheridan learned how to make three minute song last for five or ten minutes to bring variety into the arrangement, you've yeah. got to do it because otherwise you've got to learn so many songs. Mm. Did they, they play most of the cover then, or did they have a lot of the songs that we know and love established already? At this oh, point? It, it, we're a covers band, um, because that's what audiences wanted to hear. You know, the, the club owners wanted them to be on stage playing. Records by American artists with the locals who they heard on the radio. Mm. And the idea of the Beatles and those other groups going to Hamburg was Hamburg clubs could afford to bring over American artists. But they got the nearest thing, which is British group singing American rock and roll song. Mm. And that's, that's what they wanted. So that's where suddenly, for hours performing, you then got to rehearse during the day as well. And that's when you become together as really good. And, and I've spoken to so many people who saw them before they went out when they were really, really average. When they came back at the end of 1960, four months later, nobody had seen a band like them. Mm. Just threw everybody else off the stage. 
was so was hundreds of hours practicing and performing made them into an absolutely brilliant band. Yeah, so nobody's seen anybody like them before. And is this how they land their first BBC job? Is and is that what makes them well known in the British music scene? And it took them a lot longer. So the time gets to the beginning of 1961, becoming band in Liverpool, go back to Hamburg for another three months, make a record out there with Johnny. That's what makes the difference. Because back then being on the BBC is what makes you, right? But that that's what the big deal is. You're a big deal band when you get on the BBC, right? The thing back then, BBC probably wouldn't have rock and roll on there. Really have too much music on there. It was light entertainment. Um, so if you wanted to get onto radio where you'd hear music and rock and roll music, it was Radio Luxembourg. So the, the <laughs> tiny, this tiny place in Europe was aiming at rock and roll chart shows from there on shortwave yeah. to the UK. And that's, that's how everybody was learning the songs Radio Luxembourg, not the BBC. Really, I, I I thought because I imagine that BBC would be the place to be, you know that that's where you wanted to show off your work. That's where you how that's how you got famous. If they would have done it, yeah. BBC wasn't interested. Really? Yeah, we're not into music. It's still very old fashioned. So getting your records played on Radio Luxembourg was the big audience. Or the best way to promote records and what you're doing was to perform. And then when he says the Beatles were lucky, trust me, I, in my this book, Liverpool, I think there's 109 different news that played just in Liverpool area. We're playing two, sometimes three times every day. Because the more you pay, the money you get. Of course, once we made this record out in Hamburg, it came back to Liverpool. Is that is is Hamburg where it made the first record? Really? Yes, June nineteen sixty one. Bonnie, um, they acted as the backing band. Well, was it a baggage. live record or was it like just studio record? No, it was studio. It recorded uh, a um, international use called Kemford. Um and he went to it's, a, it's like a theatre. It used yeah. it for a recording. Um, he spent a couple of days over there with him. Lead singer and the main person was Tony Sheridan. He acted just as his backing band. They weren't called the Beatles, they were called the Beatles. So when they came, when that was released, only released in Germany, uh, some about October 1961. I imagine, I imagine West Germany than North East Germany. I, absolutely, yeah. Oh, completely, yeah. The only on Polydor in West Germany. Um, so they came back to Liverpool and were telling all the fans an order our record. He, fans were going into the biggest record store, which was NEMS. They, we want my Bonnie by the Beatles. Mm. Record store manager with Brian Epstein. He tracks down the record, reports them, and they sell out straight away. But as he sells records, he's interested in a local group with fans who can sell records. Mm. And um, you meant does it take so it's well received in Hamburg, but how did 
you you talk you talked a little bit about this, but how are they received in the UK when they come back from Hamburg? How 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 do they? Yeah, how how are they received? Well, it, 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 in Liverpool only, stay to your local area. And did they, did they think that they would remain in that when did well in Hamburg? Now we're gonna get huge in the UK. The only thought in terms of Liverpool initially, mm. you know, down in Hamburg, they're gonna must be the best in Liverpool. The dream was always you wanted to be professional recording uh, stars. You wanted and probably thought of like most of the other. Names of the time like Pritchard and the Shadows, Jimmy Steele, uh, Fiori, these people who had record deals were big money in Britain. They would have settled for that. Uh, when we first came back from Hamburg, Liverpool fans uh, at the concerts and the one with Little in Town Hall on the 27th of December 1960, all the other groups were buzz bands. They played songs exactly like were on the record. And, you know, now if we, if we go to a concert, we go and we watch the band perform. Then you didn't. Behind us, dance bands. And was hired to play the music. Everybody danced to it. Yeah. The played. Instead of being in nice suits and ties, be respectable, playing songs like the records. We're in jeans, cowboy boots, the jackets, and hair. Everything turned up loud. Yeah. Curtains went up. Paul launches into Long Tall Sally. Instead of dancing, everybody stopped. They went to the stage. And they clapped and they cheered. That was their first little taste of Beatlemania. Nobody had seen anything like But when did they start writing these songs, these iconic songs? Basically, every song you Beatles song is an iconic song at this yeah. point. <laughs> But like, when did they start writing original songs and try to perform them live? And how, again, I want to ask this kind of the same question, but how are they received? Like when they start to write original songs? Well, started writing original songs very, very early. And um, when John and Paul met in July 57, started writing, playing with, you know, writing their own original songs. Wouldn't dream of playing them. Were just, just were they scared of that? That they will that they try out with We want cover songs. We want American songs and not original songs. Well, exactly. That that's, that's when you, as a band, as a dance band, especially nobody's going to dance to a song they don't know. Mm. Now, what happened was one of the main reasons they really started writing lots and lots of own songs was. At the end of 1961, the top in Liverpool, there's a lot of other competing really, really good bands. For a small city, time our population was probably not much more over five or 600,000. Liverpool is not. We had over 300 bands. <laughs> you need to stand out yeah. against the top bands who are there. If you're all doing exactly the same cover songs, well, it's difficult to stand out, even if yeah, you do a slightly absolutely. different arrangement. If you write your own songs and perform them, they're really good songs. Nobody's going to copy you. Yeah. That's what they had. They started doing their own songs. 
they were well received. So they stood out then as different all the other bands. Mm. That's what Brian Epstein liked when he first heard them at the Cavern. You know, they were still in the black leathers, scruffy and messing around and stuff. Yeah. One of the songs they did was Hello Little Girl, which was quite an early uh, song of John's. And Brian listened to it and thought, that's a really good song. They can write more songs. You could have a career. Mm. Them doing an original song. I'm interested. I was the guy who contacts in the record industry in London. Got them to Liverpool. If it hadn't been for Brian, UK would never have known them. The world definitely would never have known them. And something I want, I want to ask about because I, I don't I don't remember the specific songs. I believe it's either yesterday or let it be that Paul had a dream about the song and it comes to. John says, I had I had this dream, but I feel like I heard a melody before. And he plays the melody and Paul says, John, I'm sorry, says says, No, that's that's an entirely new song. I think you can take it, dude. Yeah, it, it's, it is that a true story. It's, it is, yeah, it's yesterday. And he dreamt the melody. Um he, he just put some words down, which was scrambled eggs. How I love your legs. Mm. Just to put something in. He spent and we around lots of people and thinking I can't have invented this must have it's so easy when you're listening to so many songs and covering so many songs like they did mm. and to get influenced yeah he went to lots of people and said this melody I copied it wherever I copied it from eventually everybody said to him that is an original tune yeah and so he then writes the proper lyrics to it um, and records it, and it's like, is it the most good song ever? Yeah, like three thousand versions or something. It's, everybody's yeah. done it. Oh, if you're a musician, you definitely played yesterday before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's the same with comedy for me. Like, I, so I just I used to stand comedy before the pandemic, and it feels like when you got a new joke, you feel like this probably has been done somewhere yeah. before, and it's probably not a, an original joke, and you feel like it's been probably been done a thousand different variations <laughs> of this joke before. That's yeah. nothing new. Yeah, well, it's like that with me, you know, writing my. You know, there's thousands of Beatles books out there. Yeah. What aspect of the story hasn't been done? Yeah. So that. Uh, and how many movies are there about the Beatles? Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, and I've contributed to that as well because um, I made a um, very uh, successful documentary film. Yeah. Was the historian for one called Looking for Lennon, and uh, we did a. a Directed film by my friend Roger Appleton, produced by another friend, Gary Popper. It's been sold in, I think, 26 countries around the world. Wow. Nominated for a National Film Award. Congratulations. As, yeah, I'll know. Thank you. I'm, I'm so proud of uh, I'm on screen and, and off screen as historian, and you know, the most accurate and most definitive documentary film, rather, on formative years of John Lennon, you know, from through childhood, adolescence, taking up to that point when he's about to become really famous. Yeah, it's always thinking whatever project been has it been done before? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and so I, I it's always hard. Think, it's hard to come up with anything original these days. It, it is. 
Um, you know, I've been able to do it with, with the four books I've done. There's nothing else like it. So Liverpool is the only on the Beatles and Liverpool. Fab 104, The Evolution of the Beatles, the only book that covers all of those different people with all these different interviews of how they became the Beatles. And in the fourth Beatle, this, this is an interesting one for if you like your Beatles trivia, was how many Beatles drummers would you name between 1956 and 1970? I don't think I can name one. <laughs> I've got 23. Wow. So, so again, nobody had done a book just on drummers and then the most recent one the, the country of Liverpool Nashville of the North nobody's gone into that kind of depth of importance of the country music scene in Liverpool and how much they influenced Beatles with the songs they wrote and the songs that they covered well those influences are all the way through yeah uh, recording career and into the solo years mm. as well country music so again it's always something different has to be a different angle. I'm, most of my stuff is it's the Liverpool story. Yeah. Told in different ways because the phrase I had for first bit was, you know, understand the Beatles, you've got to understand Liverpool. Yeah. If you don't understand the city, you'll never get it. And really, if you're not from Liverpool, you can't really write mm. about the Beatles and Liverpool. Yeah. Um, something no something one to talk about how did it get the record deal and how did it become huge in the UK in, with his contact um, in the record industry uh, an audition at Decca Records 1st of January 6th is this a huge company or is it like a small media? Oh, no it's huge no, no Decca is one of the biggest um, he also had artists in America as well for the huge international company um, Beatles failed the audition Decca turned them down were the only company actually give an audition. Everybody else, big and small, turned them down. Mine ends up um, in front of George Martin, Parlophone Records. He gives them an audition and he listened to it and he thought, yeah, that's sort of okay. It was more personalities uh, of John Paul and George really came through. And the fact that they had some original songs, he took he took a, a punt on them. He thought, give them a go. He gives them a deal. And you get that summer where uh, it really best. he's replaced by Ringo. That's one of the biggest mysteries in Beatles history since 1962. Why was Pete sacked? Mm. Solved it. Worked, I worked out everything that had happened. That's in the Finding the Fourth Beatle book. Um, it proved he was actually never sacked. He was tricked into thinking he was mm. being sacked. And I interviewed Epstein. Why didn't, why didn't they want him in the first place? Um, this is where uh, Beatles rewriting history, looking back. At the time, he was very much part of the band. His sound called the Atom Beat, was so much behind the dominant sound they created in Hamburg and back to Liverpool. It was integral to music the Beatles presented. The problem was when they went for the audition with George Martin, um, Ron Richards, who was like producing the session, um, said to George Martin, I don't think 
best can do what I want him to do in the studio, we'll need a session drummer. So George Martin tells Brian, um, if they get a contract, if they make a record, use a session drummer. That was quite normal practice back then. Yeah. I didn't understand that. He says to John Paul and George, uh, George Martin doesn't think it's good enough. You think, well, when we're playing live, but this is our last chance for a record deal. If we get the contract, we're going to have to replace him. Is this a ringer comes into the scene? Some people again like to rewrite it and say it was always going to be Ringo. He was the only one being considered. He wasn't. I mean, he was was, one... was it was it working for that guy at this time, or was it just randomly selected? No, the new Ringo. They'd met him first when they were out in Hamburg on that first trip mm. in uh, October 1960. Ringo was the drummer with Rory Storm, the Hurricanes. They were the top in Liverpool until they were overtaken by the Beatles. So, got to know Ringo. They knew him. It's a bit of irony there. Well, there is, and that's Ringo. We seem to find himself in the top groups. He's in the Skiffle group. He joins Rose Tom the Hurricanes to become the best you know, rock and roll group. Overtaken by the Beatles, and he joins the Beatles. You know, Ringo was a very, very talented drummer. Still is a very, very talented drummer. He was one of four drummers who were asked to replace Pete. And um, other three turned. Uh, Epstein down. Ringo was the guy who said yes. Now that may sound like that's a bit random. He was lucky. Ringo was the only guy who could have done it. Um, and that was the whole point of the finding the fourth Beatle was in the end. It's that journey finding Ringo becomes the final part of the jigsaw of Fab Four. And even if he wasn't the first asked, it doesn't matter. None of the others who were what Ringo did and always in, in Beatles history like people come along at the right time it's, it's like this, it's like when in a scene with uh, Motley Crue where Mick Mars in the movie The Dirt where Mick Mars come in and is fired just rather fires the guy who was before Mick Mars and he I'm, I'm the guitarist now yeah and, and that's it but we've got to replace Pete for making records we need somebody else who will do it Ringo, he had the face of variety of styles. Because Rory Summer the Hurricanes are used, used to playing it like a, a summer holiday camp. He need couldn't just do straight hard rock and roll. Yeah. He needed more variety. You know, he knew in Skiffle, he grew up through that with jazz, with country, with rock and roll, with variety. So he could play so many different styles. And the way I always describe it is the best left. The summer of 1962, that was the end of the Beatles. They were a great rock and roll covers band. When Ringo joins, that's the birth of the Fab Four. They're there to make and record original songs and make albums. Become pop. See them as two separate bands. It's a there's an evolution there. No, but as you've heard about the Hurricanes, so uh, yeah, see, <laughs> and the Hurricanes with great Rory Stone was a front man. They were limited. The reason yeah. why the Beatles made it, and like Jerry and the Pacemakers, first three singles went to number one. A short career, searches, 
Jake Bremer, uh, the foremost. All these Liverpool artists had a career because John and Paul and George writing great original songs. That's why they lasted. Changed everything because before we started recording their own songs and performing their own songs, what you did was if you were a group or a singer, your producer would a song written by somebody else. They learned that, and that's what you recorded. Mm. He suddenly said, We're a band, we're going to form, record our own songs. Yeah. So, any artist now who is a singer songwriter their own stuff thank Beatles for what they did in 1962 because they made everything possible changed everything on the music landscape do you think the Beatles would be as popular today if they started off let's say today and uh, versus 1960s when it's when it really took off do you think they would be as famous it's one of those things where a song will always be a good song Oh, and it's why so many people still listen to Mozart and Tchaikovsky and Beethoven yeah. back centuries, still listening because it's great music. And music will always be great music. And that's why we're over 50 years since they broke up. We're still talking about mm. And we still will be in 100 years, 200 years, because what they were were great songwriters and creators and is what's going to keep them there is music it wouldn't have mattered the way when we got together genius was there yeah used the influences and they would have created but do you think it was something about the band to the right people at the right time that that it wouldn't be the same if it was a different group of people making these songs same songs but it was that it just was the right people at the right time. Yeah, and, and the right city. Mm. Uh, Liverpool, and, and that's why I've always been so passionate about writing the stories about Liverpool. It's a pretty unique city. Uh, and when you're looking at the country influences that I was saying, it is seaport, so many different nationalities, people living here. You've got sailors bringing in music and that came from Liverpool. All these records were coming here and getting passed out among the group. Yeah. Been introduced records before they got anywhere else in the UK. When you've got unique of cosmopolitan port with lots of musical influences, very strong Irish influence, very strong American influence. You get geniuses together. Again, it's that it's that moment in time, 1956, when John starts the Curry Man. Lonnie Donegan doing Rock Island Line which was the skiffle music that's what started lots of the group yeah and you've got Long Tall Sally Little Richard then you've got Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis yeah and then you've got Chuck Berry Buddy Holly all that at a time when in this country yeah the idea of the teenager there for the first time before that you went to school left school you got a job you dressed like your dad yeah. Suddenly, you knew where you came from. Yeah, absolutely. Now, had teenagers who were sometimes still at school or just started work, had money and records. You got the birth of rock and roll. You got teenagers with me, and then you've got 
music crazy in Skiffle, which got people playing guitars, forming groups. All this comes together. People, right time, right place. It could only have happened in Liverpool. Yeah. Then. Now, at this point in time, there was not, not really other British bands who made it across the ocean in America, but what made Beatles one of the first bands that made it big in America? And how did it, how did it do it? Um, the question that I've asked a lot of my American friends. Um, and yeah. why, did, why didn't any British bands make it before the Beatles, so to speak? I think, I'm sure that maybe I don't know if there was the one before Beatles, but but those are this band is one of the most famous ones that made it one of the first, if you will. Yeah, that made it across the, the ocean. Yeah, that changed everything. Part of it is timing. So at the end of 1963, the Beatles have done the UK tours, um, one albums, singles, um, television appearances like the Royal Variety performance. And so the newspapers were full of Beatlemania. Then photographs and that news was making it across to America. And one of the um, film projects I'm working on at the moment is um, for a photographer back in the time called Terry Spencer. And he followed Beatles around at the end of 1963, beginning of 64. He's a photographer for Time Life, which I read magazine. America. This huge article all about music starting to get paid over there. And suddenly, yeah, chance to go on the Ed Sullivan show. But Ed Sullivan had come across the Beatles chance. And they were on the way back from Sweden. Is Ed on- Sullivan the reason why America made it big? Because it was one of the biggest social hosts in America oh, at the time. And every so family watched Ed Sullivan show. He'd see, he was in London Heathrow Airport when the Beatles came back from Sweden. And there were loads and loads of kids screaming for the Beatles at the airport. Sullivan's walking through said, what's all that about? And he's told it's about this, this group called the Beatles. So in his mind, he now knows who they are. He reads about, he thinks, we really need them on my show. Yeah. A concert booked at Carnegie Hall by... A guy called Sebastian. So the timing is perfect. You get invited to go on the Ed Sullivan show. At the time they land at JFK Airport, New York, everybody's talking about them. Of course, the personalities, when they were doing their press conferences, use humour. That's quite natural for Liverpool people. Humour is just a, a way of life. They were answering you know, some of these stupid questions with funny answers. So they came over really well. Music yeah. was coming out. Hit number one with I Want to Be Your Hand. I Want to Hold Your Hand. Yeah, one of my favourites. You know, it's a great, great song. It gets oh, to number oh, one. Absolutely. So by the time you get on uh, the Sullivan show on that Sunday night, 73 million Americans watching them. 73 million. That's it. Mm. They were made. So everybody wants them. Yeah. They conquer America. June, they're doing a world tour. Nobody had done anything like that before. Crazy stuff. 
Mm. Crazy. Elvis didn't even perform outside the United States. I mean, he was in the service in I believe in Germany, but he never performed outside the United States. Absolutely. I mean, I loved him perform in Britain, but he never did. Nobody done a world tour. I mean, Geraldine Lewis was about to perform in Britain, but he would not. He just, uh, for some reasons that we, I'm sure most of us know, he yeah. didn't never hit it. I'm over there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, mutual geniuses, but nobody seen. I think it's I got the Rolling Stones described them as the four-headed monster. No, you weren't getting an artist who went around John Paul George and Ringo separable answering for each other making jokes you, it was so hard to keep up with them and their personalities came through yeah again we were saying just before you will be remembered because music and that's in the end that's what it'll always be about yeah music Yeah, and uh, you you mentioned like you mentioned you mentioned Rolling Stones and how are they influenced by the Beatles and how did they them and Rolling Stones and Beatles get along when the Rolling Stones first started getting on the scene? Well, it, it's an interesting one because um, their manager Andrew Lou Golden um, was very very clever because he created them as you know the opposites of the Beatles, so mm. the Beatles. When they start, you know, a clean cut suit, tear everything like. Yeah, I rem- I think uh, I remember watching a documentary about them, and they were said like, yeah, Rolling Beatles. We can't have just one nice band in Beatles. You gotta have some bad, some somebody to be the bad guys or so, something like that. So the Rolling is that what? But everyone then, wanted to marry the Beatles. Nobody wanted their <laughs> daughter to marry Rolling Stones. Yeah, I think that's still the case. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so they were portrayed as the boys and um, actually were really good friends with each other. And first hit Rolling Stones had the Lennon McCartney song, I Want to Be Your Man. And hmm. um, one of those songs they gave to Ringo, the album, sing. He gave that to um, the Rolling Stones. And that was their first big hit, I Want to Be Your Man. So they did so much together. If you look at the cover of Sergeant Pepper, right down in the corner, there's producing the Rolling Stones. So many things together. Mm. And Keith Richards really looked up to John and Paul songwriting. Mm. Thought, okay, that's how they do it. We'll study what they do. We'll learn to do that. And so influence was there and just wanted to be sort of, you say, it's the bad, it's the opposite image. I think John was always a little bit jealous yeah. at the start because he was the wild one. He was the rock and roller. They were doing pop songs and he got a bit fed up at first. Of course, once they got the success and had three or four years, mm. he could do whatever they wanted, dress however they wanted, record what they wanted. Yeah. Had complete control by then. No, um, I don't think anyone remembers, but the first Rolling Stone record was complete cover songs. Well, yeah, absolutely. They thought, well, that's what we like doing. You know, we're into our arm. We'll do some of that. And it, it was doing nothing. But popular on the local scene um, was 
the Lennon McCartney song that gave them their first hit yeah. helped, helped them to make it. So there's always that friendship and great respect. You know, as we saw, you know, the other day, Charlie Watts died. Um, you know, there's Paul McCartney right on, you know, and giving his tribute because he stayed friends. And it was nice. And I think it's when, when the Beatles were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Mick Jagger, who the introduction, and, and he, see it on YouTube, it's, it's a fabulous little speech. Uh, and they said, we heard Love Me Do, that came out. Well, hang on. How can that these lads from Liverpool, because it had that sort of boozy feel to it, with yeah. that harmonica sound. I thought, we want to do a bit of that. Mm. Um, that there was there was a rivalry. It was a very friendly rivalry. We used to support each other. Yeah. Um, it was done with uh, to say, oh no, this tension. You got you got to have this between the two of them. In reality, that wasn't there. That were different. Did the fans love the rivalry, though, or did they really care about? It? I'm a Rolling Stone. I'm no, I'm a Beatles fan. They champion both kind of thing. Now, kind of like Marvel would be a senior champion both. I, I, absolutely. I mean, it, we were saying Liverpool, you're taking sides. You know, the first thing you want to know: you're Catholic or Protestant, support yeah. Liverpool or Everton. You have to take a side. And all the people I've spoken to. It was, you know, were a Beatles fan or a Stones fan. Mm. Very rarely for both. And I know it's, a, it's a typical thing with fans, isn't it? You know, yeah. You have your loyalty. You want to stay loyal to your, your band. Yeah. Now, an, another rivalry that's happening at this time, when they, they, so they do the Ed Sullivan show, they become Concord, like you said, America. But... Another rivalry, another band that noticed them, which is already well established, at this, like you said earlier in this episode, at this point, is the Beach Boys. And they don't like that the Beatles, because they kind of sound like the Beach Boys, and they're kind of really heavily inspired by them. How did they feel about the Beatles? Is it, and is this more, more a serious rivalry for them? Is this serious for them that they don't want to be husbands in a way? Yeah, that I, I think, again, it's like with the Stones, um, just the utmost respect between the two groups. And what you need to bring the best out of anybody is a really good opposition. And then McCartney had... One was the lazy one of the two. So when you come to do an album, right, we've got to talk about this. And Paul says, well, I've got eight songs here. And things, oh, hell. They go and write some songs. So Paul could bring the best out of John. And John writes a brilliant song and Paul thinks, I'm going to have to beat that. So yeah. really help him. And when you see another group doing well, which is you. So I, I know Paul has, um, has always said, you know, when they heard these boys sound, he said it was just, it was so different and it's like so poor that if you've got to describe the perfect song, God only knows. Yeah. Said, you know, you listen to that voice, everything about the song, like as close to perfection as you could get. Mm. So then you've got this rivalry with, with 
sounds coming out and with Sergeant Pepper. And what the Beatles had done with Rubber Soul, the revolver uh, into Sergeant Pepper, they were, they were evolving. Again, it was, it was taking influences of what they could hear then put their own own spin on it. So personally, I mean, I like a lot, a lot of the stuff the Beach Boys did. Um, I really do. I, I think they were geniuses. Absolutely. It's fantastic. Um, strangely enough, but sound. Personally, I don't think it's a particularly good album. Hmm. It's got a couple of standout tracks, but I, I don't particularly like it as an album. Um, I, I can't see where they were they were nicking ideas off each other. I don't really see that. It was more what they were experimenting with and what they were trying things out with. I think it was every time one of them came out with something brand new, it sets a new standard. The other ones have got to go, right, well, we've got to... It's healthy competition. And when you get that healthy competition, always get the best. But you get that little bit of that touch in, in the movie Love and Mercy about the biopic about Brian Wilson, where it is mentioned that the Beatles are getting used and that they kind of can't get behind them in a way. Yeah, and again, that, that spurred them on. And a similar thing in, in the UK, I think, as in America. In the UK, suddenly, any artist from Liverpool was really popular. Well, because the media were based in London, whether it's television, radio, or newspapers, he didn't like the fact that these artists from the north, there's only like there were 200 miles between us. I say it's almost like being a, a separate country. He didn't like the fact that there were these artists, if the Beatles coming down from Liverpool, becoming the most popular. Yeah. They had to find their own Beatles, and they found the Dave Clark Five, and it, they put. Media put everything behind the Dave Clark Five. Now, who were very, very good. And Dave Clark himself, a very shrewd businessman, learned all the mistakes in the way the Beatles have made. Um, they got behind that. So we had the British invasion. And, and then imagine over in America, you don't like to be invaded. So has to then, again, it's that moment in time where stars like Elvis Little Richard Harry Lee Lewis and Chuck Berry popularity was on the wane had the sugary songs over there and they weren't quite sure what was happening yeah. with American music Beatles come over change everything so then that spurs on Americans start in their groups like the birds you know, it was so Heavily influenced by by the Beatles, yeah, he started getting all this new movement of American artists, then inspiring each other. So, Lynn comes on the scene. He inspires, particularly John Lennon, with his songwriting. He's always, if there was somebody new out there and they had something really good, he's always going to inspire and influence. Yeah, um, absolutely. Of artists, and so it was always healthy competition. Because if you're at the very, very top... You no, wouldn't say they were like enemies, in a sense. They're very healthy, respect each other. Um, you need that to make you become better. Yeah. But if, if you've got nobody challenging you at the very, very top, 
what you do. If somebody's mm. challenging your position, you know you've got to be on the top of your game mm. to do the very best. That yeah. brings out the best in everybody. And um, something on, I mean, one of you asked as well is it, Paul, the relationship between Paul. You mentioned, at the end, that you said before, you mentioned it briefly. But what was the relationship between Paul and John like? Because I, I heard that they kind of didn't get along, that they didn't really get along, that they kind of annoyed each other like brothers do sometimes. But did, was it that they didn't really get along? Or did they get along greatly? Um, at the very beginning, um, they were as, as close as brothers could. The fact that Paul had lost his mum cancer when he was only 14. John's mum was knocked down and killed in a road accident when John was 17. It happened the year after John and Paul met in 58. And lost his mum. But that put them closer. It's so much together. Songwriting was always together. But it's, it's, it was never a 50-50 songwriting partnership. When they sit down and say, let's write a song. One of them would come up with like three quarters of a song. Come to the other one. They would help them finish it. But you get the exceptions like yesterday. Which is, it's, it's just, it's a Paul song. Where most of the time they would help finish off each other's song. That was the partnership. That was going well. Eventually, when you've done that for a few years, as you say, any family siblings fall out and it spent so many years living in each other's pockets you know they didn't have the freedom to go out and relax because they were so famous at the time we did this thing happened to with Brian Epstein Ryan, um, which is what, what the anniversary coming up 27th of August in 67 once he was gone no Brian the figurehead they always said they wouldn't have another manager what do we do next and yeah. all the right reason we're trying to keep the group together to drive them forward and change the dynamic so he was more of a leader and manager within the group where John had always been the leader of the group mm. now really writing completely separately having their own stuff and um, their own project as well outside of the Beatles and the sad thing is and this is what was revealed when the film comes out to this year reach this stage by the end of the Beatles career where you would very rarely get all four Beatles recording studio together mm. so, um, on the White Album came back George quit when they're doing Let It came back John and Paul weren't speaking by the end of it for quite a few years afterwards um, it got acrimonious that couldn't be in the same building together certainly weren't operating certainly weren't writing together at all just so far apart that was the end of it the was it was it arrogance do you think or do you think it was I write like I write better songs than you do. Don't you even think about comparing yourself to me, or was it other factors that played into? Yeah, it? no, it, it gone beyond that. 
but they had different writing styles and always did have. But, you know, they were older. It's also been experiments with various different drugs, um, which is never healthy. Of course, all the relationships have changed. Comes now with Yoko, was married Linda, was mm. with Patty, goes with with Maureen. You, you start, you're getting families then. So the people you spend time with tend to be your spouse. Yeah. But that is different, and Yoko wasn't that popular. And I, and want to, I want to ask you about that before we move on. How did John meet Jotro, and how did they come together? And is she as controversial as the, as the media wanted to portray her? As this, um, this I, I want to hesitate to use the word this me or uh, this woman who wants to ruin the Beatles. Yeah, I think she's been a very easy scapegoat to somebody to blame at, at the feet of Yoko. It's part of it, only part of it because John wanted to spend every minute of his life with her. She was um, an artist from um, Japan, American upbringing, to Britain. He starts this um, art exhibit, London, so like a preview, and meets, they have conversation. And one of the strange things, but I think. John and Yoko only ever found another person in their life who understood them. And they understood each other. They, yeah. they created their little world. Nobody else ever understood. He had something. I've just been, uh, I'm just finishing off a book with a photographer called Zig. And all the first photos of John and Yoko together. The last ones before they headed for America. And Taking these amazing photographs, on there with his arms around Yoko, said, and you look at that like they're in love, absolutely besotted with each other. There's no doubt he saw them with them, you know, enough time to know. So they were wrapped up in each other, but they were starting to do their their protests. Everybody was doing their projects outside of the Beatles. They were, were drifting apart and got to the stage where... Was it naturally drifting apart? Like, was it inevitable, do you think, that they would drift apart? Yeah, without I, you, Yoko? Yeah, because I think in the end, because John became so obsessed, and I think he had an obsessive personality, he was so obsessed with her, he couldn't be out of his sight. But John broke a rule which was wives and girlfriends, in the studio. John insisted on Yoko being in the studio with them. It changed the dynamic. But they couldn't themselves. So once you start setting the equilibrium that has been established, it's going to be animosity. And then builds. You've got a mixture of being together for years, being stuck, each other's company, but he couldn't have a lot of freedom because they were so famous. Yeah. Then lose Brian Epstein. Then using various different drugs, um, which doesn't help. You've got all that pressure. And then you mature to the stage where you know they're all getting married, starting families. At some point, that had to give. 
only so much pressure you can take. And as often do siblings fall out for years, didn't speak. They were insulting each other in Dong. Um, then got back together. And it was like word at the beginning. And were really good friends. They were like brothers that are falling out, made up. And they were good friends again. Yeah. And of course, a few years later, the tragi- tragedy of John Lennon happened when Mark, sorry, I had to look him up, when Mark lifted up the shooter's name, Mark David Chapman came oh. and sh- shot John Lennon as he walked outside his door. Yeah. What was the reaction to the rest of the Beatles like at this one they heard it? Yes. How soon did it, where did, it, did they hear it? Uh, I mean, I can remember it very clearly. I was 15 um, and getting ready to go to school. My uh, alarm clock you know, was on. I know I'd get a jingle and you'd hear some music and some news and stuff. And I still remember now, just heard a click. And the announcer saying, on Lennon, dead. I thought, what? And I woke up and was stunned. And he had this weird thing, 15. I was sort of thinking, well, at least he was 40. That 15, 40 is really old. Yeah. Um, I remember when I got to 40 quite a few years ago, my kids were still little. 40 is no age at all. That's how you think when, when you're 15. Um, the others were stunned and Always had a lot of criticism. Um, you know, he just found out the news completely shocked and microphone shoved in his face. And he said something like, you know, it, it's, it's a drag. And people, I don't know what they were expecting him to come out with this, this great long speech. This guy who'd been part of his life, you know, since he was, what, 15, 16 years old, has been murdered unexpectedly. And we're all just completely shocked and stunned. I, I remember he said in the interview that Trace that if it wasn't John, it would have been someone else that it would have killed. Be paranoid, um, particularly George, uh, being worried about coming out. Uh, you know, where they go? I mean, not necessarily that the Beatles, but someone else that was famous. Well, well, murder, murder someone else that was famous. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you know, anybody in the entertainment business like got very, very scared when you realised one of the main reasons John settled New York was that he found a place where he, he was free and he could walk on the streets mm. and say hello to people and not get put, which he couldn't do back in the UK. It was that freedom and that accessibility. Yeah. Which let him probably be murdered at you know, the age of 40. And what is the overall influence of the Beatles that they left in the legacy? Um, so, like, like we were saying before, we're singer songwriters performing their own music, gave permission. All these other amazing artists came after them who were writing and performing their own music. But everybody today, that's what changed. Standard idea of the, the group of four, you know, 
guitar rhythm, guitar and drums became the staple part of which which is still now guitar based bands. These fads come and go. Whether you know it's, it's punk, then we went to all the synth the size of music. Um, all these different fads. You've always had guitar based people. Of course, you had to mention that Oasis has completely the inspiration by by the Beatles. Oh, were they? It's a big surprise. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute complete shock there. But yeah, so there's artists still being inspired by them. You, know, you talk to any of the these artists on the planet, you, know, you talk to Springsteen, you, you talk to U2, you know, all these bands and artists are still inspired what the Beatles did. Yeah. In the end, Beatles' recording career lasted seven years. That's not long for a band. That, that's it. In that time, changed music, it changed fashion. Um, first time... It changed stars, the haircuts. Pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. But the first time ever the stars were asked about international politics, you know, they've been questioned about the Vietnam War. Yeah, but yeah. Involved in civil rights, refused to play in America to segregated audiences. That's a, that's a big, big step. You got John getting involved in the peace movement. Mm. George doing his concert for Bangladesh. You think of Live Aid in 1985. But George was doing that in the early 70s. His, his concert for Bangladesh. So yeah. all got involved. Paul's one of the most well-known vegetarians. Yeah. He's still touring. Ringo still touring, mm. and they're amazing. Honestly, I kind of feel like Paul is one of the most overrated. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about him, to be honest. I feel like he's kind of overrated in a sense. I mean, he writes Rose and Good Song from Beatles, but I feel like he's personally overrated. It depends what music you like. Um, but he's had some absolutely into albums, some of the early ones with Wings. Uh, some Mars band on the run, stuff like Flaming Pie, absolutely outstanding album, really good. Some is more recent. Although stuff, I, I did enjoy the, re- I did kind of enjoy the trip on the memory lane on uh, what's what's his name again? In British torture house, Corden. Oh, James Corden. Yeah, when I yeah. did that thing with Corden, and I did enjoy that though. That was really good. It was really good. No, I'm. Paul has written and performed some amazing songs. He's still an incredible concert on stage for three hours non-stop. I mean, that's phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 79. It, it, it's brilliant. It depends what kind of music you like. Mm. They're still around. They're still, still a big influence. Liverpool, personally, he brought tourism to our city. It's worth getting on for £100 million a yeah. year. Linked to over two thousand jobs, oh. um, so it's given us regeneration of our city. The city that was dying at the time the Beatles were taking off, Liverpool as a city was dying. Nineteen mm. seventies in Liverpool was a very very depressing place to be. Thousands of people out of work because lots were closing down. Didn't need the dock. Manufacturing was closing down, so it, it was not a great place to be. And tourism is so valuable. And so we're still getting hundreds of thousands of fans, normal times, obviously, the pandemic, 
hundreds of thousands of people come in every year just to come and see where, where the Beatles were. What did you think about the movie yesterday? I don't know if you've seen it at all. Oh, that, I've watched that a couple of times. I think it's a really, really good film. Enjoyed it. It's mm. good fun. Um, some nice comedy in it. Again, as a, as a Beatles fan, but younger audience mm. introduced Beatles music. Yeah. Then if you look at, at the download chart, some of the most downloaded songs are Beatles songs. Mm. So yesterday was able to do that and sort of bring all the Beatles songs a new generation. Yeah. Made them realise how great the music was. Yeah, I, kind of, I actually like it. Yeah, I think it's a really good film. It's very clever. Do you have a um, favourite song? Can you, have a, you, can you even have a favourite song of the Beatles? Oh, that, that's one of those ones I get asked so many times. Um, I think if I'm ever going to go down to one, it would probably be In My Knife. In My Knife? It's just, it's just a brilliant, brilliant song. I, I'm going to say I saw her standing there is high oh, up there. I... I Absolutely love that song, and it, that is a great shows there. Yeah, it's an early song they, they'd written. It's just straight rock and roll, mm. fabulous. It, it's, it's a brilliant. but it's one of those things. You know, what's your favorite album? It depends what I'm into at the time. Yes, yeah, I know what I mean. <laughs> do you have a, do you have a least favorite song though? Least favorite song. Mm. Um, it's a song I refer to as Skip. Um, which is Revolution 9 mm. because when it comes on the CD Revolution it, 9 was an experimental album wasn't it not all experiments are good no but, but as a song you know the White Album a weird weird album it's a double album with just about every genre of music you can imagine mm. it's on there it's, it's a mad hotspot stuff um, so it's not favourite album but yet when you go to it so many brilliant songs on there. Yeah. A few. Uh, so I, I, Honestly, to me, Yellow Submarine is one of my least favourites. Well, see, it depends who you're listening to because your four-year-old grandson, that's on his playlist. He loves singing Yellow Submarine. Mm. He's four. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely loves it. He knows we've gone in the car and we sing along together to it. Mm-hmm. But it's depends, you know, it's that genius I was saying before. Yeah, to write music which is so easy to learn. Yeah. Very difficult to write. Yeah. They've built at any age. You know, at a party here, like you say, I saw a standing there, goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's up any age. It's so, something about music that makes you just want to make move and you like Exactly. Da, 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 you know, and it's just it's like brilliant. genius, and yet it's a straightforward, absolutely simple rock and roll song in a way, brilliantly written, brilliantly performed, but still, it's original in so many ways. Oh, absolutely, and that, that's the genius of it. You look at the whole recording catalogue of songs, whatever style of music you like, yeah, if you like it. Your heavy rock stuff. Stick Helter Skelter on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was groundbreaking. What they were doing. Whatever music you like, folk, country, it's all in there. Right. Covered yeah. everything. 
it's genius. It's absolute genius. Thank you so much for coming. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. And do you have anything you wish to promote? Anything you social media where people might find you? Sure, yeah. Um, um anything you want me to put in the description at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um easiest thing to do is to find me is um at my website, which is uh liddypool.com. So L I E D Y P O O L on liddypool.com. And from there, um you can see biography about the books I've written. Um and there's a podcast that I do, my own podcast called Liddy Pod, which is really about the Bulls and Liverpool. So yeah, you can find me on there. I'm over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, all the links on equals up. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. My name is Alan. This has been what that age well. Join us next week when we go back to ancient Rome and talk about what it's like to be a gladiator. Was it really like the movie? Or was it much different than we like to think it was? My name is Alan. This has been with that age as well. You can find us on social media on the Instagram for that age as well, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts. This has been with that as well. And please like, share, and subscribe to, to this channel, channel. And I'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.